Hey everybody, Scott Fontana here alongside Dan Urban. What's up everybody? We're the Couchside Judges, back again to break down judging in the world of mixed martial arts. This week, we're looking back at the ESPN Plus event from Auckland, New Zealand that gave us some pretty terrific action overall. The main event stood out in particular to me. Uh, it was definitely an early fight of the year contender uh, between Dan Hooker and Paul Felder. We'll have plenty to say from the judging perspective uh, in just a few minutes. Now, as we always do, we'll break down the judging in that fight as well as address some scores uh, from the judges that didn't quite match what the folks at home saw, especially Dan and myself. Later on, of course, we will take a look back at a very close fight from four years ago featuring one of the two headliners from this weekend's upcoming flyweight championship bout in the UFC. But before we get into this awesome lightweight fight that we were treated to in the main event, we got to talk about the weekend's premier combat sports attraction. And that was Tyson Fury crushing Deontay Wilder in the rematch from their draw last year. Dan, you watched that too. What did you think of Fury? I thought it was excellent. Came in there imposed his uh, will on him pretty much, had Wilder running backwards the whole time and was landing some heavy shots, licked some blood. It was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he played a little uh, BJ Penn card right there, huh? You know me, I love BJ Penn. So. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Now, I I had watched the first fight. I don't believe you had watched the first fight between I, the two, Yeah, right? I, I never saw the first fight. So the first fight, if you since you didn't watch it, and for anyone else who maybe didn't watch that first fight as well, Fury dominated most of the rounds with his boxing. He's clearly the better boxer, as we ended up seeing again this previous weekend. But at least in that first fight, Deontay Wilder was able to land those bombs that he's known for. He just couldn't get it done this weekend, and I don't really know why he showed up looking like he hadn't prepared for any different fight. It was almost just like he, he figured he'd eventually land that bomb and it would put him down this time. It was it was very disappointing. Did Fury fight the same way in the first fight? I remember hearing the announcers say that he was pressing the action more at this fight. Yeah, no, he was more aggressive. He, he was definitely landing much more with power uh, as well. He was leaning on him with that weight. You saw it was, there was a lot of kind of MMA tactic in there. Where trying to make him carry his weight and and tire him out. Right. Yeah. I kept calling for a guillotine. I remembered it was boxing. Correct. Correct. And then at one point we saw Wilder look for uh, kind of a, a really terrible double leg. Uh, <laughs> that was that was a little too MMA for for what we were looking here. But Wilder was it was disappointing to watch. Yeah. He had no legs after that first knockdown. He did. But that's an that's enough boxing. We're here to talk about. UFC. We're here to talk about mixed martial arts and the judging. So let's get to contested rounds. Uh, we've got a lot to say about hometown favorite Dan Hooker getting the split decision nod over Felder and how the judges with the uh, the New Zealand Mixed Martial Arts Federation saw this fight as well as some of the other fights from the night. This fight, though, it was not a controversial split decision, but it was a close one, right, Dan? Very close fight, and you know you can make an argument for either fighter, I believe, uh, to take the decision. Yeah, it was one of those fights that, especially the first time I watched it, I was not watching to grade it. I really just wanted to have fun. I allowed myself to just be a fan in that moment and not grade the fight. So it was very hard to really sit there and say, okay, I definitively know one of these guys won this fight in that respect. But after I went back and watched the fight, I definitely have a strong opinion about who won, but there are close rounds, and we'll, we'll get to that. Dan, I want you to take me through what you saw in the first round. First round, I saw a feeling out process from both fighters, mm -hmm. really. No one was really going for it yet. I ended up giving it to Dan Hooker. Yeah, I, I saw that for Hooker as well. Um, we saw Felder kick out Hooker's leg at one point, but he couldn't really capitalize on that. He didn't follow him down. That was probably the most significant action you saw from Felder, but Hooker was picking him apart uh, with single shots and you know, controlling that distance really well. 
Right, yeah. He was hitting him with jabs, which usually aren't, you know, considered very high on the level of effectiveness. But, you know, he was definitely hitting him more. So, and they were doing some damage. Oh, and, they were uh, they were hard jabs. Those were nice stiff jabs. So, yeah, I, I leaned Hooker on that round. But, I, you know, I felt it was just really a feeling out process. It was a close round. That was that was one of those rounds that I could have seen kind of going either way. But actually, all three judges ended up giving that round to Hooker. The, the The judges for this fight, by the way, were Barry Foley, Howard Hughes, and David Leatherby. These are all judges that we see typically operating in this region of the world, kind of the, the Asia, Australia, New Zealand range. Round two. I thought this one was actually much closer than the first round. I thought this was almost a round where you could assign a 10-10 if, if we were trying to be a little more loose with 10-10 rounds. Uh, what, what do you think of that one? This round was a little bit more definitive. Really? Due, okay. Due to the last minute, I felt the last minute is where the most effectiveness came into the fight. Okay. Which was Paul Felder finally turning it up inside of landing some good shots. I did end up giving that round to Felder as well. I could totally see an argument for Hooker getting that round. That's that's not egregious to me if you're if you're gonna go either way on that one. Yeah, when I watched it live, I, I felt Hooker won. On the rewatch, I uh, scored it for Felder. Round two, we actually had two of the three judges gave that to Hooker. Uh, the way you saw it kind of that first time, whereas only Howard Hughes was the one who gave Felder round two, like you and I ended up ultimately doing. But round three, I thought this was a much more solid round, and this one I definitely gave to Hooker. He kept Felder at the end of his jab very well, uh, and it was heaping damage on Felder's face. It was starting to add up. Even though Felder had his moments, I, I just I really thought this was one of the easiest rounds to score in the whole fight. What about you? I thought it was a Hooker round, but I did think it was a lot closer than you thought. Okay. Again, I, I kind of feel like the second half of this round is where Dan picked up the pace a little bit more, was landing the more impactful shots. So, yeah, I ended up giving it to Hooker. Yeah, I mean, again, we both ended up on Hooker here. Uh, the only one who went for Felder was Barry Foley, whereas Hughes and Leatherby, they ended up giving it to Hooker as well. Round four, though, this is this is another solid round, and this one I think is probably the easiest of the whole five rounds to, to give one way or the other. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. This was the easiest round of the entire fight. Felder landed way better. Best round of the night for either guy in the entire fight. Yeah, Felder in particular, he looked so crisp right off the bat. He was he was landing hard. He found his groove, just landing one twos and marking up Hooker's face in in a way that he hadn't been for the previous three rounds. Yeah. It was it was interesting to see him find that second wind after 15 minutes of fighting. I felt he was trying to finish the fight. Yeah, That's no, absolutely. Like. He was pushing it. I think he probably, in a sense, knew at least, okay, my face is getting touched up here. I, I definitely need to start looking good for the judges, or, and, and if not, I need to put him away. He knew he was in unfriendly territory, so I have to think that played a part. So I like to see that from him. That was really great. So at this point, I actually had the fight at 2-2. As and do then, I. And as do you, yeah. And all three judges, uh, Cage Side actually ended up giving that round to Felder as well. So this this was the least controversial round, I think, of the entire fight. We had round one went all to Hooker. We had round four all to Felder. But I think, as we said, round one was pretty close. That probably could have gone either way. I thought round three was pretty close, too. This final round is the most contested round. Being the final round, obviously, it was pivotal. And especially if we both had it tied up at this point, we saw it as this is the round to win the fight. And... Hopefully, both of these fighters were operating the same way. I gave that round to Hooker. It was very close uh, on the feet, and Felder seemed to, to be landing more effectively, I thought, for a while. But then, as the fight wore on, as the round came closer to the end, uh, Hooker started coming on stronger, getting a takedown, plus passing to half guard. That was a difference maker for me. I thought the grappling aspect, it wasn't just a takedown. It was something that he actually was able to move forward with, even if it wasn't striking. 
That was effective grappling to me. I disagree. Okay. I gave that round to Felder based on the striking. I thought he clearly landed the better strikes in that round. And that takedown, you score it as a takedown. But those pitter-patter shots before he started trying to pass, they get to the feet, they scramble. The scramble was maybe eight seconds long. I don't find it effective, really, in the point where it would be, wow, that won him the round. I thought it was a close enough round, personally, from the striking aspect that I was willing to let the grappling be a difference maker because not only did he get that scramble, he was able to advance the position from there. I think when you get out of the full guard situation, you can pass to half. That's effective grappling to me. I I would disagree. I gave that round to Hooker. Uh, How did you have it then? You had it for Felder? So I had it for Felder. Okay, so then you're giving Felder the fight. I have Felder 48-47. See, I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. That's, That's an okay score to me, even though I saw the fight for Hooker. It was such a close fight. And that's why we need... More 10-10 rounds, because how can you say one person deserved to lose this fight? I feel more comfortable giving 10-10s in rounds where the action is not being pushed. But having said that, if, if a round is even, the round's even. So I agree. I think I think it would be nice to see more 10-10s. And that's why we have, as we'll outline later and as we do every week, we have in our Couchside Judges scoring criteria, we will push for 10-10s. But that's not how we're scoring the previous weekend's fights like this one. Correct. So the next fight we have to talk about is Brad Riddell versus Magomed Mustafaev. And in my opinion, I thought all three judges got round one completely wrong. Oh, really? I do. Okay, why? Basically because the most impactful part of the fight was by Riddell. Drops him. Mustafaev starts grappling because he has to. Sure. And he basically just holds him there. Any any strikes there were had no fight-finishing qualities behind them. He was just content to hang on. Yes, he landed that impactful strike. And yes, I would agree it probably was the most impactful of the entire fight. But that was really the only offense that was worth grading from Riddell in that entire round. Other than a moment, a good moment. The best moment. The best moment, sure. I'll grant you that. This This is certainly one of those cases that becomes a very tough round to score. But... As we saw Mustafayev go to the takedowns defensively in reaction to suffering that damage and being knocked down, he was holding on but also landing some really good knees to the legs, which I thought was at least smart tactically to try and slow down a little bit of maybe the ability to move around. I don't even count those as effective strikes. Oh, no, they were hard knees. They weren't They weren't just little pitter-patter stuff. They were good knees. He also landed a couple upstairs. They weren't fight finishing. No, they weren't fight finishing, granted, but just because you're throwing leg kicks out there doesn't mean they're fight finishing, but they still score. Not as much as a punch to the head. I agree, but I do think if you're talking about kind of a sliding scale of momentum where maybe it starts to move pretty violently to one side for Riddell because of that strike and only that strike, the rest of the action through the entire remaining four minutes of the fight was all Mustafaev, and it wasn't dominant by any stretch but i thought it was enough to continue to score with with the strikes more than the takedowns the take the takedowns were not nearly as effective as i think the the striking was but it did play into it it wasn't not effective he wasn't just holding on he was landing i don't think it was effective at all i don't think he was trying to advance his position i think he was just trying to get out of that round no he was he was trying to sink in hooks he, he was having a hard time doing it but he he was so definitely trying to get that left leg so that's ineffective no he was working for it it wasn't just that he was holding on well he was working for it doesn't mean he got it. it's ineffective true but again when you compound that along with the knees that were going to the legs the knees that were going upstairs i thought that was enough to cancel out 
I think you're going to be in the minority on this one. I don't know. All three judges saw it my way, and I understand that, you know, sometimes we're going to disagree with these judges, all three of them. They saw Uh, it wrong. And later on, we will see that as well in a situation that I think both of us will agree upon. Uh, But fair enough. Uh, Agree to disagree on this one, sir. Okay. Agree to disagree. Round two. Did you? How did you see this one, though? Round two, I gave to Mustafayev. Why? I felt the striking was rather even, and I thought the grappling was better, but not effective due to just the evenness of the striking. I had to go with the criteria. You move on to aggression and then move on to control. See, I, I disagree once again. This is another one where we, we kind of saw things a little differently. I really thought that Riddell's striking did make up for the difference in the grappling situation because I really didn't think anything was coming out of Mustafa's grappling in this round. I would call it ineffective grappling. Right, so I'm not married to this round. I'm, I don't care if you give this to Riddell. I can see that too because sure. he had good strikes that round. Okay, so you're not as passionate about this no, round as you round, were in the first round. Round one, 100%. Brad Riddell. Okay. All right. That's fine. Two of the judges ended up giving round two to Riddell, uh, just as I did, whereas you saw eye to eye with Barry Foley, who gave the round to Mustafaev. Um, he was the dissenter in what ended up being a split decision as round three. We all agree, Dan, you too, that round three was a Riddell round. Round three, Riddell. Yeah. This this one we're definitely not going to disagree on. But ultimately, we both ended up with 29-28 for Riddell anyway, correct? At least we got the right guy. That's the goal, but obviously, as we are grading these fights, we're looking for these guys to get every single round correct, these judges. I see that as differently than Dan on this one. That's okay. That's what we're here to debate, right? But I appreciate your passion, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go on to something I think you and I are a little more united on, which which is uh, Yan Jiaonan. As she just destroyed Carolina Kovalkiewicz's face, uh, it was it was a little sad to watch for me personally, just because Kovalkiewicz, she was a really good fighter only a couple years ago, and, and her career just is in shambles now. Round one and two, I think, were the ones we really like to talk about as potential 10-8s versus 10-9s. What did you think? When I watched it live, I didn't think it was a 10-8. On rewatches, I, I gave round one and two both 10-8s. Yeah, same here. I, it was one of those kind of deceptive 10-8 rounds where there wasn't one particular piece of action that you would know to. And this is one of those ones where you have to give credit to judges that are watching live in cage side that are willing to give a 10-8 in the moment in a situation like that because that comes, I think, with with experience and training, which, to be fair, Dan and I do not have. Uh, we we are longtime fans of the sport, and we care deeply about the judging we have for a long time, but it is different than being cage side. We have to give credit to all three judges here who at least saw one of the two rounds as a 10-8 for Jan. I think round two more of an argument for a 10-8 than round one, but still round one, I would give a 10-8. Oddly enough, it was... Two judges, Luke Hill and Howard Hughes, who gave 10-8 in round one, whereas David Leatherby gave round two the 10-8. But neither one of them went 10-8 in both rounds, as you and I ultimately decided on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is one of those cases that's uh, that's a really close 10-8, 10-9 round, as Kovalkiewicz was just getting marked up. She was not necessarily not fighting back, but she was very clearly getting outclassed and dominated and damaged it. It was so apparent on her face. From somewhere around the midway point of round one, you started to see Kovalkiewicz keep her right hand up up by her eye just to protect it because it was very clear at that point she had broken her orbital. Yeah, supposedly it's a really bad injury. Yeah, I have broken both orbitals in my life, and it is not fun. But that's, that's a story for another time. In Kovalkiewicz's case, when you're already 
protecting yourself visibly right there, you're signaling danger to your opponent, and that's that's not good. And and I thought because she was so compromised, you had to give 10-8s, at least in that round. But round two, she didn't even put up a whole lot better fight. And it was unfortunate to see her kind of continue there because it's almost a case where you start talking about corner stoppages and things being something we should look at. Yeah, I kind of think the ref uh, and the doctor should have said, you know, you're done. Someone needed to. To her credit, look for a nice leg lock uh, in round three. Was that a heel hook? Yeah, she was attacking a heel hook. I believe if she doesn't get in that position for as long as she did, we're probably looking at another 10-8. But credit to her, she was able to make it a nice closer round and fight off a little bit more damage for just a little while. I thought for a second she was going to pull it off. Mm, I I didn't really feel that confident, but that would have been nice to see. That would have been wonderful to see for her. All right, there's a few more fights we're going to go through real quickly. First one, Jalen Turner versus Joshua Kulabau. Now, that Uh, one ended in the second round by TKO with Turner, right? Right, yeah. This one didn't have to go to the scorecards, but if it did, I would really be curious how round two would have been scored. I had it at 10-7. I didn't know the ref was ever going to jump in because it could have been stopped like 10 times. I wasn't scoring that one just because it didn't make it to the end, but yeah, absolutely. That that was just a, a pounding, and it was really unfortunate to watch as... Kulabau just, he looked completely overmatched. Round one, though, that was actually the fight that the judges were able to take a look at, and only one of the judges gave that a 10-8, whereas I very clearly saw a 10-8 from that one. Did you agree? Is that a 10-8 first round? Agreed, 100%. That's a 10-8. Yeah, David Leatherby is the one who ended up giving the 10-8 there, so credit to him. But Luke Hill and Laria P, I hope I'm saying your name right, Laria P, Taya, both of these judges gave it a 10-9 for Turner, and I don't know what you have to do to get a 10-8 in these fighters, these judges' minds. Yeah, was, I know. That was that was a total beatdown. That was unfortunate. We also have Angela Hill getting her sixth fight in in 11 months when she just knocked her victory over uh, Loma Lukbonmi. Yeah, Hill's been uh, fighting like every two months, it seems. She keeps on stepping into these late-notice fights, which is the case here. Uh, where she stepped into this one. Round two and round three, though, these were the f- the rounds that we kind of saw the judges differentiate on. How did you have round two, real quick? Round two I gave to Hill. Same. Yeah, I thought she was landing. Um, she had that decent triangle that she was looking for. She had the arm bar. That, for me, that's a very obvious 10-9 round for her. So I completely agree with Judge Mark Rogers, who didn't see it for her. I, I don't I don't get that one. Right. Do you? I actually thought the striking was even in those in the grappling was the difference maker in yeah, this. Yeah, I agree. But the so, grappling was very, very much a part of that one. If you're going for sub attempts and that was a triangle that it wasn't the tightest triangle you ever saw, but it was it was there. She had yeah, she had to worry about it. She couldn't just ignore it. No, for sure. So I, any reason that you could give especially when you're talking about it being an even striking round and that's how i saw it i think everyone else saw it except for mr rogers not fred rogers love that guy but yeah that's a that's a 10-9 round for hill round three though this was a round that two of the judges gave for hill how did you see it i had it for hill as well she had a better impactful strikes to the head i disagreed i actually gave this one to look on me this was a close round though i thought that she was they were both landing well. Hill had the good clinch work, and I think that's probably what you could see as a difference maker. Is that? Did you agree with that? Maybe that assessment. Uh, I don't really recall the clinching. Basically, uh, she, basically. she had a little bit of clinch clinch against the cage where where Hill was landing well, but at distance, that was where Lukbami I thought was was definitely more effective. Okay. Yeah, she so. had a nice teep in there as well. Not that that Is that was the, the one that sent her across the cage. It was. It was. Okay. It was. You know, it wasn't a, a significantly damaging strike, but she had other strikes from distance too. That I thought she was very clearly controlling 
the distance there and, and, and winning in that respect. So it's not terrible to give that round either way. I have no problem with you giving Hill that round, but I actually did go look bon me there. Yeah, I guess it was close. Yeah. But yeah, my reason was the, the stronger headshots. Mm-hmm. Howie Booth was the, the scorecard that I saw the most, but you saw all three for Hill in that respect, correct? Yeah. So for you, that would have been a David Leatherby uh, special for you. The last fight we really need to touch upon uh, real quick Round one of Kai Kara France and Tyson Nam. This is a flyweight fight. Round one, all three judges gave it to Kai Kara France 10-9. But Dan, you and I both disagree. Yeah, we both disagree. I definitely thought Nam landed the most uh, heavy shots in that round, even though he was uh, getting outstruck. I think effective-wise, Nam was definitely landing the better shots. Yeah, and he, and he was stalking too. I mean, it wasn't just that he was landing better. I mean, he was controlling the pace here. This was his round, and... Yeah, he he did get outstruck, but it wasn't by as big a margin as you saw on the broadcast, because when you go back and look at the fight metric, it was actually 19 to 13 in favor of Cara France. That's that's not a, a great difference here, especially when you were seeing such effective strikes from Nam. I just didn't agree with that. Yeah, and he landed the most impactful strike. I yeah. think it broke his nose. Yeah, I, I I don't know if it actually did or not, but that was definitely that was that was the most memorable moment of the of the striking for me. Cara France definitely won. Both of us gave the other two rounds to Cara France as the other judges did. So the right guy got the win, but it should have gone down a different way. I think we both agree. The one fight that we can both agree with here, uh, Jake Matthews, 29-28. All three judges had it that way. We both had it that way, giving him the first two rounds and Mech coming back really strong with that third round. Now out of 12 fights on this event, Half of them actually finished early, and five of them finished in the first round. Dan, I think probably one of those first-round finishes was your favorite of the night, right? For sure. Jimmy Crute, that Kimura was awesome. Michelle Olesechuk, he just he looked overmatched on the ground, and, and it was a really impressive performance by Crute. I'd love to see him continue to develop. I think he's one of those guys who could end up being a real contender at light heavyweight. I mean, light heavyweight's pretty shallow, so he may be top 15 at this point. I don't know if he's there yet. I think it's going to take some time. It's shallow, but it's not quite that shallow. Honorable mention, though, I'm going to give for another finish that happened in the first round. This this one inside of a minute, Priscilla Cachoeira opening the event with a terrific uppercut that just stiffened Shayna Dobson. And this was for Cachoeira. She ended a three-fight UFC losing skid after she lost her UFC debut in just the most dominant fight you ever saw against Valentina Shevchenko. That was a fight that really should never have been put together. So... Kudos to her. She she had a really good human moment where you just saw that raw emotion come out where, where she finally got the monkey off her back. And I, I love to see that. It can't be fun getting knocked out at 10 o'clock in the morning. No, that's not how I'd like to start my day, by going back to sleep in such a violent way. Yeah, that's that's a rough start. It is. And that's all we got. Now it's time to grade these judges. Lest ye be judge time. Time to give them their grades. What do you got? My best judge of the night was David Leatherby. Okay. Gave him an A-. minus. Mm-hmm. Felt his Felder hooker score was a B plus. He was the only judge to give a 10-8 in Turner Kulabau, so he gets an A there. Yep, I like that too. What about you? Who's your best judge? For me, it was Howie Booth. We saw everything eye to eye. He turned in nine round scores, and that's how I had it as well. Most important for me, though, was that he gave uh, Riddell the win in that split decision, and he also gave the same rounds to me. Obviously, we disagreed, you and I. For me, if you see the same score as I did, and it was a fight that I felt should have been scored a different way, and especially if we agree on everything, you go from an A to an A-plus in my book. But I have to give another shout-out as well to Howard Hughes. I thought he had a really nice night. The only round that he and I disagreed on uh, was he didn't give a 10-8 round two for Yon, but he did give the first round 10-8. So kudos to him. That's an A-minus. 
Uh, what about your worst judge, though? Who, who do you see is kind of the weakest link? Luke Hill, by far. Okay. Turner Kulabau, I don't know how round one is not a 10-8 on anyone's scorecard. He Agreed. turned He turned in a 10-9, so gave him a C-plus for at least getting the right guy. For me, my weakest judge, though, was Barry Foley, because out of 14 rounds scored, which a heavy workload on this card, it was actually the most rounds that anybody had to score, we only saw nine rounds the same way three out of the four fights actually we had different scores on for me that's a little strange when you when you have that i also didn't see a strong defense for felder getting round three that was one i didn't see as close as maybe you did honestly i didn't really think the judging was egregious from new zealand this weekend it wasn't strong overall but we had some some strong performances there so you get you kind of always get a mixed bag you're always going to get some judges that pull through and some judges that are either not looking so good or they're terrible i don't think anyone was terrible and that's all we've got to say about the action in auckland so now it's time for another edition of past judgment now as you know this is a segment where we look back further than the latest event this is where we apply our own couchside judges criteria to this fight this week we're going to look at joseph benavidez who's set to take on davison figueredo uh, in norfolk over the weekend for the belt that henry cejudo will have to vacate as he's going to be defending his bantamweight crowd going forward but when you know it, the fight that we're looking at took place four years ago between Benavides and Cejudo. It was a razor-close fight. A razor-close fight that had a new element that we haven't seen on the show yet. Should be interesting to see how it's going to weigh in with our criteria. Scott, why don't you remind the listeners what our criteria is? What we do here is we take the ABC's 10-point must formula. Um, we just make a few key changes. We drop aggression. We drop area control as tiebreakers. So this way, we're allowed to give more 10-10 rounds when effective striking and grappling are virtually identical. A 10-9 round means that a fighter had a slight but noticeable advantage, 10-8s for a round that clearly and easily was won by one of the fighters, and a 10-7 is a dominant round that, for the recurrent idea of the scoring, you might think of as a 10-8. That just becomes a 10-7 for this, to stretch it out a little more. This allows more diverse scores without blowing up the entire 10-point must system. Even though it's flawed, I think it would probably be even harder for any set of judges to adjust to a completely new scoring format i think it's pretty easy yeah i think everyone pretty much can understand it they'll they'll have to adjust but it is what it is i think the biggest adjustment is you know deciphering a 10-8 and 10-7 writing a 10-7 may be tough for some people they'll have to adjust it's it's one of those things that they'll right. have to catch up with the times just like people are starting to catch up with giving out even more 10-8s right. now than they used to when even that practice used to be mm -hmm. rare so uh, give us a little bit more about this fight. Where did this one take place? Yeah, so this fight, this was actually on the Ultimate Fighter Season 24 finale. That was the season where the winner got to face flyweight champ Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson in the night's main event. This was in Vegas uh, on December 3rd, 2016. But actually, Benavidez versus Cejudo, that served as the co-main event. So this was kind of an all-flyweight event, which you just don't see a whole lot of from the UFC. A lot of support for flyweights. Right, and so these two were, were the top of the division. Yeah, when they entered, it was Benavidez was number one on the UFC's official rankings. Cejudo was number two. Both these guys had already fought Mighty Mouse before, twice in Benavidez's case. Actually, Benavidez had lost in the inaugural flyweight championship fight, and he still stuck around the top. He's one of those guys that you just couldn't beat. He, he was, no matter who it was that came after him, he knocked them down, except for Mighty Mouse. The judges, actually, for this one, we had Derek Cleary, Marcos Rosales, and Glenn Trowbridge. The referee was Eve Levine. Dan, why don't you take me over uh, the first round? Take us through. Okay, so the first round opens up 
and these guys they're moving fast. Flyweights always move fast, like it's in fast forward. Yeah. Sometimes it sometimes it's it's hard to see what's going on. They're moving that fast. Early on, Cejudo hits him with a big shot, actually drops him. Very briefly, split, yeah. Yeah, for a split second, drops him, and you know we kind of saw flurries back and forth for the, almost the entire round. When he dropped him, obviously you have to score that, but it really didn't seem like he was affected greatly by the strike. It was one of those situations where he he fell. He went to his knees for a second, popped back up, and looked totally fine. Right. Still got to give it uh, credit for a knockdown. No, right? absolutely, for sure. And some uh, some strange things happened in this that you normally don't see from the refs. There was two low blows, but only one warning issued, and there was a point taken from Cejudo for it. I was actually very happy with Levine here, who's not always my favorite referee, but I think referees need to get much more punitive when it comes to taking away points. I know low blows can happen with with kicks, especially if you're going for that inside leg kick as as Ben, or excuse me, as Sehudo was going for. But when you, when are you going to start penalizing them? And, and I think it was really nice to see that Levine nipped it in the bud early, gave him the quick warning, and then the second time he gave him the point. And you didn't see Sehudo going back to that anymore. He he seemed to really understand. Oh man, that's a really costly point. And how did you actually end up giving that round? The round score I gave was ten nine for Sehudo. Then you take a point away, it becomes a nine nine. Yeah, same. That's that's how I had it. Two judges saw it that way. That was Cleary and Rosales. I don't really understand Glenn Trowbridge's score of 10-8 for Benavidez here. I, I don't think Benavidez really did enough. Tough for him to score it that way. I can't give him a 10-9 because I, I don't think he won the round. I thought Cejudo had the more effective shots. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird score there, and we'll see how that affects the fight as we go on. But round two, Dan, what happened here? Okay, so round two, I felt Benavidez came out a little stronger, mm-hmm. was landing the more effective shots. It was still a close round, so it was pretty much back and forth striking. I felt Benavidez was winning the majority of the exchanges, so I gave it to him for uh, 10-9. Yeah, this was a really, really tough one to score, and for me, I actually saw the striking even in a round that was basically all striking. I had to give a 10-10 in this one. I You saw Benavidez have a little bit of an edge, but then you see Cejudo come back. Cejudo was able to bust Benavidez's lip a little bit, but then as you saw near the end, Cejudo was marked up. I, I just saw this as a situation where, especially for Cejudo, he kind of abandoned the wrestling, which didn't do him any favors. Not that you score that one way or the other, but it was a little weird for an Olympic gold medalist to just completely abandon any pretense that he was going to try and take down, because it just gave Benavidez one less thing to to be too worried about and I think that was costly for him because if he'd even attempted some sort of aggressive wrestling maybe he gets it maybe he's able to kind of clinch up at the cage a little bit maybe he's able to land a few more strikes there and and make a difference but for me this was a 10-10 yeah 10-10 totally justifiable this is a very close round especially in in our couch side judges criteria this this is a situation where you'd really start wanting to look at it even though it was a competitive round I thought it was just an absolutely even round. And actually, the the striking numbers support that. Benavidez landed 22. Cejudo landed 21. I don't think any one of them landed much more effective strikes than the other. I know you disagree, probably a little bit at least. but I thought Benavidez landed slightly better, but it, 10-10 is totally fine. Two judges saw it your way. Cleary and Trowbridge both gave it to Benavidez, but Marcos Rosales gave that to Cejudo. It's hard to fault either one for going one way or the other. I'd love to see which one of them would be interested in going 10-10 if they were given the green light to do so. But for me, this fight, because of 9-9 and now 10-10, I'm looking at a 19-19 fight where everything comes into round three. And Dan, what happened? Round three was quite the round to score. It was it was a very, very close round in my opinion. I thought it was almost entirely even. 
at one point, Cejudo gets a waist lock and, and trips him for like a split second. So I, I kind of didn't really even grade that. Yeah, he didn't really follow him down uh, as aggressively as I would have liked to have seen him do. Nothing effective really there. Mm-hmm. And the striking was just very even. I gave it a 10-10. You gave three. that one a 10. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, this one I actually did end up giving uh, the round to Benavidez. Okay. Cejudo was doing the, the, the little bit better early. Benavidez never went away for very long. And over the final few minutes, you saw him, Benavidez, start landing some nice clean strikes to the head, which seemed to have a better effect than the good body work that we were seeing from Cejudo. Uh, especially at this stage of the fight. I just thought it was much more effective in the sense that it's round three. If Cejudo's working the body, unless he's going to land that body punch KO, which he wasn't really looking for any shots to like the liver or anything like that, I just didn't see it as a situation where he was searching for the finish in the right way that he should have been for round three. So I, I gave that one to Benavidez, and I feel pretty good about it, as close as it was. I don't fault to anybody for going 10-10 such as yourself or even Cejudo, but if I'm going to give a clear winner... I have to give it to Benavidez. Not that I have to, but I really saw it that way. Yeah, that's fair. 10-9, I think either direction's okay, and I think 10-10 was the way I saw it. I I had a tough time deciphering who actually won this round. Again, the striking's numbers support that. It was 25 for Benavidez, 26 for Cejudo. <laughs> you know, we if we're if we're looking at strike numbers like that and it's already matching what the eyes are seeing, I can understand that. The judges themselves though, Cleary and Trowbridge both gave 10-9 to Benavidez. Rosales saw it 10-9 for Cejudo. So what was the official score for this fight? Well, for me, I gave it 29-28 Benavidez. What was your score? My scorecard ended up being 29-28 for Benavidez. Right, just like me, but in a different way. Basically, we had rounds two and three Mm flip-flopped. But, I mean, we saw the right winner. However, that point was really costly for Cejudo because he would have gotten a draw on both of our cards. As for the judges themselves, the judges who were assigned to this fight, Trowbridge had it 30-26 for Benavidez, which is a weird score. I don't know how you give first round to him. Marcos Rosales gave 29-27 for Cejudo, and Derek Cleary saw it 29-27 for Benavidez. So Benavidez did end up getting the split decision. If you take away that point there, it still is a victory for Benavidez on the judges' cards. We had it as a draw, but it's one of those fights that I I could kind of see going either way, and it would be interesting to see these two kind of actually lock up and have a real fight, but I don't even know if we're ever going to see Cejudo at flyweight again. No, it seems very unlikely. And I don't blame him, too. He's had issues. He had issues early on in his UFC career, and even before he joined the UFC, making that 125-pound weight limit. He got it under control, and he was able to win the championship from Demetrius Johnson. He was able to defend it against TJ Dillashaw, but I'm actually kind of happier for him that he's up at bantamweight now where he doesn't have to cut that extra weight it, it's not necessary he it's better for the fans it's better for the fans it's better for him as as a person as much as he might be cringeworthy right now i mean he's still a person we don't want him to go into kidney failure yeah i wish more more people would fight at their uh the more natural weight class i'll tell you what i'm really excited about though is is this actual weekend's fight with benavidez against figueredo i'm a huge believer that benavidez is the most underrated fighter of this decade, bar none. You might be right, Scott. I mean, flyweights typically don't get the credit they deserve. So as good as he is, if he was maybe a 55-er, he would probably be more recognized than he is. Yeah, I mean, he he beat everybody that came his way except for Mighty Mouse. And then he also did have, to mention it, he had a split decision loss to Sergio Pettis in his first fight back from a torn ACL. This was his only loss that of his career that wasn't to Mighty Mouse Johnson, or Dominic Cruz. These are two of the greatest fighters that we saw at 145 pounds or less. So 
it's hard to really knock Benavides for not being able to get past them. He, to me, he's almost the the lightest version that you could compare to to Daniel Cormier and John Jones, where Jones was definitely the better light heavyweight. He obviously had different issues, but DC is somebody that, hey, he's, he's a great in and of himself, and I think nobody knocks that. So that's how I see Benavidez as one of those types. Yeah, I would agree. He's definitely way up there. So I'm very interested to see if he's finally going to be able to get over the hump, get the gold, bring it home, and, and cement his legacy as, as truly one of the greatest fighters of this time period. I actually think his time is now. You do? He, he's going to get it done. This I, weekend. I hope you're right. I, I don't have any vested interest in Benavidez other than I like to see greatness be recognized. No, I have nothing against Figueredo either, so it'll be interesting to see who wins this one. I don't think Benavidez, even with so much time in the game here, or he's in he's more than a decade into his Zufa career. I really hope he gets it done and we'll see. We'll see. It's it's so, gonna be an interesting fight. So Davison Figueredo has some he's finished most of his UFC fights. He has, he has, and he's six and one over three years that he's been with the UFC. Um his loss came to Juicy Formiga, who it turns out Benavidez actually just TKO'd last June, and it's the second time he TKO'd him in his career. MMA math, obviously it doesn't work. I think we all know that. But you can't ignore the fact that Benavidez is knocking out guys that Figueredo is coasting to decision for. If he's good enough, he should be able to finish this. That's, that's how I see it. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, as far as the judges for this fight in Norfolk, Virginia... Virginia is not one of those states that UFC goes to all the time. They haven't been there since 2017. But at that time, at least, we did see them staff it with some really excellent judges. Chris Lee and Derek Cleary in particular. Chris Lee is a favorite of ours. For my money, he's probably the best judge that we have in mixed martial arts. So I hope that he's assigned to these fights as well. I would love to see Derek Cleary also assigned. You're going to see some Virginia-only judges Possibly someone like Brian Costello or Ron Rodriguez, who we saw at the last Norfolk card as well. Now, Virginia doesn't actually have a commission, right? No, they don't. So when <laughs> when Virginia has to pass any sort of changes to the way mixed martial arts operates in their sport, they have to pass laws and it has to go through the legislative bodies. It's a weird thing. That just I don't seems know why like they... a lot of red tape. It's a lot of red tape. So... We don't have the new scoring criteria, the clarified scoring criteria. We don't have the new unified rules because they haven't gotten to that in okay. uh, in the state's legislature. But enough about the judges. Tell me what else you're looking forward to this weekend. Aside from the main event, I'm looking forward to see the violent Bob Ross back in action, Luis Pena. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got a new opponent on uh, short notice. Pretty excited to see that. Who's and he fighting? He's going to be fighting Steve Garcia, accepting his fight on short notice. He was on the Contender Series. Okay. I'm also excited to see Sean Brady. He may not be that well-known. This will be his second fight in the UFC. I know him from going to regional events in our area down in Atlantic City, so I'm excited to see what he can do. He's right. He'll be fighting Ishmael Nordiev. I haven't uh, I haven't watched him, so I'm curious to see what you're talking about here, what, what all the hype's about. Yeah, it should be interesting. I like seeing guys from around here uh, make it. What about you, Scott? What, uh, what are you looking forward to? Other than the main event, which is pretty much the main attraction for me, I do like Jan Kutilaba against Magomed Ankalaev. That's a 205-pound fight. You just wanted to say those names. You know, they're they're fun to say. <laughs> Jan Kutilaba. It's it's there's something there's something kind of soothing about Kutilaba as, as a name. It's almost like Gusfraba. <laughs> Gusfraba. Anger management. Yeah, they're they're fun young light heavyweights. Uh, they can both finish. I think it's just gonna be a fun fight. I don't think it has too much bearing on anything, but I I'd like to watch it. We'll see. 
And that's going to do it for this episode of the Couchside Judges. We'll be back next week where we'll be reviewing the judging from UFC Norfolk. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like, you can follow Scott on Twitter and Instagram at Scott underscore Fontana. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dan Urban MMA. And you can also follow us at the Couchside Judges. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Take care.